Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Iron Flute, Case 91, Hogan's Drop of Water. A monk asked Hogan, what is a drop of water from the source in the valley of the sixth ancestor? Fugai comments, squirt ink from your mouth into someone's face. Hogan answered the monk, It is a drop of water from the source in the valley of the sixth ancestor. Fugai, he uses poison as an antidote. Genro, Hogan never discounts from the fixed price. Fugai, There is no fixed price. And then the verse by Genro with comment after each line by his disciple, Fugai. This drop of water from the source. The Yellow River is polluted at the source. There is no worse poison. Whoever drinks dies. Do not say you know warm or cold. Who knows the taste? How many can drink it? I have already drunk it. Happy birthday. And thank you, Todd, for the beautiful handmade sweets that are on the altar. We will offer them to Master Rinzai tomorrow morning. The Buddha was born, that much we know. There are many stories. And as usual, there is some disagreement about an actual date. Since people like to come up with discriminatory ideas, 
But there is a stone, evidently, at Lumbini that has the date 623 before the Common Era. Others have said somewhat later in the 500s, but let's celebrate today, since it's 2023, and add that to 623, and what do you get? This much arithmetic, uh, arithmetic I could do. So it's his 2,646th birthday. Yay! <laughs> Genna was silently clapping. Today, April 8th, 2023, is also one year memorial of another baby Buddha who died in childbirth. Francis Henry Streit, son of Giyun and Maeve. Today, they are bathing the Jizo Bodhisattva figure that we Sangha members gave them. And where his ashes are buried on the shore of a pond in the wilderness of Daibosatsu Zendo's 1,400 acres. So we mark this occasion forevermore on April 8th. The two babies. One baby. The interweaving of birth and death. The intermingling of the joys and sorrows. That is life itself. I think all of you know the story of Siddhartha Gautama's being born when Lady Maya reached up to a flowering branch in a grove where she and her retinue had stopped on her way to her parents' home 
where she had thought she would give birth. But the baby decided the time had come and was born amidst all the flowers, all the beautiful scents in that grove. I need a baby. Who's the youngest person in this room? Is it you? Okay, can you stand? He stood up and he extended his right arm toward the sky and his left arm toward the ground and he walked seven steps in a circle. <laughs> and he looked north and he looked south. <laughs> And he looked east, and he looked west, and he declared, I Babies have a little time to, <laughs> takes a little time for them to, to speak, but we know this one did right away. From the heavens above to the earth below, I alone. I alone. And the world honored one. And the world honored one. <laughs> Very good. And you know, this spirit is what being born is for each one of us. Here I am! Or in another way. <laughs> but really, this is what has happened for each of us. Taking this rare human form, coming from the mama's womb, Maybe still some vivid memories of where we came from. Anybody remember? Yes? Mm. But now, entering into this wide open, vast world of bright colors and sounds and scents and tastes, mm. shapes, touch sensations. You also may recall that there was a soothsayer, fortune teller, and he told the king that his son, Siddhartha, could be a great world ruler 
or a spiritual teacher. What do you think? What did the king want? Well, I have this territory over here, and there's that territory over there that I don't own yet, and then there are those territories and that one. Yes, a great world ruler is what we need. Bring them all together. So he did his best to ensure that his son, the prince, would have a royal life of luxury and would stay within the castle walls. But you know, this is rarely spoken of, but he had already experienced the most terrible event. His mother died right after giving birth to him. And even though he may think, well, you know, a baby doesn't really know. Really? On some very deep level, it must have been the seed for his spiritual quest. His mama's body disappeared. The king married his wife's sister, Maha Prajapati Gautami, and she raised Siddhartha. So having experienced this deep loss, maybe not on the cognitive level, but from a deep bodily awareness, then when he was older and managed to go out from the palace, he saw three embodiments of suffering. An old person, a sick person, and a corpse. How many of you remember seeing a corpse when you were young? I don't mean your bunny rabbit. I mean an actual... It's really an unforgettable occurrence, isn't it? Really. I still remember it vividly. You know, we we had so much death in my family. My father was killed in the Hürtgen Forest in Germany in the war. My grandfather died many deaths and family members in the Holocaust. But to come in contact with a corpse, with someone who has just died. I grew up in, in um, most of my childhood in a very rural area 
Hunterdon County, New Jersey. And I went to a two-room schoolhouse. We had a coal stove in one room, so when it was cold, we all gathered there. And we had uh, outhouses, and we had a playground uh, that was built on a kind of small field of shale. That was the local uh, mineral. Has anyone any idea what shale is, what it looks like, and what it feels like? Huh? Yes? What? Huh? Hard and sharp. Hard and sharp. Sharp. Yeah. That's the point. So this playground, there was one boy in my second grade class who was really um, very, um, very active. Back then, nobody knew those terms. What do you call it now? H-A-D-D-A something. Hmm? ADHD, yeah. He wasn't given a label, but he was extremely uh, energetic and uh, kind of courageous. And so he would get on the playground equipment and do his very best to soar off into the great beyond, no matter what he was on. Uh, swing, whatever it was. And uh, I was always a slow eater, so it was lunchtime. Everybody was out having a wonderful time in the bright sunshine recess. I was still eating my sandwich in the dark classroom. My friend came in. She said, come on. You have to come out. So I left what I was eating, ran out. There he was, lying on the green grass with a huge pool of blood from where he had hit his head on a piece of shale. And this was, you maybe can't, you can't imagine how remote this area was at the time, now it's probably built up. But you, there was no way to get an ambulance. Someone had to run to somewhere and make a phone call. And Anyway, all of us children sat around him and just was that. I don't know why that story just really appeared so vividly, and I can see it. I can see it today just as clearly as when it happened.
I was talking about Siddhartha seeing the corpse. Well, having seen these three and also an ascetic practicing deep meditation, he decided he had to go out and find out for himself and sat down eventually after years of searching under a tree. I will not get up until I fully realize the truth of existence, fundamental reality. And on the morning of the eighth day, as we have been told, looking up, and seeing that morning star at last became Buddha. And he didn't want to speak at all. But you know how the deities are. No, no, you don't. They want to hear what you have. You have to share your wisdom. Okay. Let me tell you about Dukkha. The reason for his quest. Knowing all of us have, no matter how fortunate our karma, somehow some little thing has managed to creep in and unsettle us at least, if not cause great. Anguish. So, this first sermon, and later on, with Ananda's encouragement, his stepmother, Maha Prajapati, was able to start the Bhikkhuni order, the first, the Sangha of Buddhist nuns. So we heard about embodiment in Chigan Roshi's wonderful Teisho yesterday. Sometimes in Zen training, we may get the impression that we're supposed to get rid of the body. You know, just go into disembodied samadhi. Nice work, if you can get it. (laughs) And when you do, then what? what? 
take another step off the hundred-foot pole. You know, we are sitting in bodies. There's a nice quote from Shoto Haruk <coughs> Roshi about it, which I wanted to read. to do this with our whole body. Our practice has to be done with everything we are, not just the good stuff, everything. As long as you are stuck in your head, your Buddha nature will not be revealed. When of each movement and can let go of all of that differentiation your breath naturally aligns. You come to know this place of realizing the form of no form as form, whether going or returning. We cannot be any place else. But after some years, maybe 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years of sitting, we can get good at just letting it be. Pain comes. Okay. Just breathe, soften into it, breathe, soften into it, go deeper. Dogen Zenji was enlightened when he was in China and heard the master say, drop off body and mind. But problems can arise as we continue, as we get older. Anybody getting older? Some of us may have, in fact, developed a talent for dissociation. particularly if we've experienced traumatic events in our early lives. I don't want to look at that. I'll just sit down and bliss out. But they come back in interesting forms. And sometimes, often, in bodily ways. But 
we do our best to learn from them, to incorporate them into the deep investigation into our lives. Still, I have noticed how important it is for me to present a good model for students. This is what a Zen teacher should do. Always be here. Always show up. Guide your students. Don't take any time off. So it was probably one of the hardest things in my Zen training years for me not to come this yesterday morning for Choka and unstructured Doksan. Always thinking, I have to model determination. Being here. Literally, give my life. Literally. Well, maybe it's not such a good idea after all. <laughs> and coming to see that maybe the best way to model is a healthy way to live. And of course, we know from the Book of Rinzai, when hungry, eat. When tired, sleep. So to listen to and respond to the body's signals with discernment, not just reacting with aversion to pain and sleepiness with uh, usual uh, distractibility, restlessness, discontent, of course but responding to what we might call life-saving signals. Attention. Body is saying something. So my blood pressure has been problematic over the past year or two. You know, causes and conditions, a strenuous schedule, Probably the pandemic didn't help. And, you know, things change as we get older. I still think I can do things I can't do anymore. I'm 45. <laughs> okay. Just as the Buddha's birth date isn't exactly known, I might be 79, but anyway.
So it's not, uh, it's actually like there are these lurking problems, speaking about the body, lurking problems that lurk for a while, you kind of ignore them, and then not lurking, they kind of lurch into the forefront of our attention. Oh yeah, attention. So some of you know that Hokuto-sensei had to take me to the hospital uh, the sixth night of Rohatsu. And the day before yesterday, again, my blood pressure soared and I had no intention of going back to that hospital. <laughs> and I remembered my cardiologist's words when I saw him later in December. He said, this is a wonderful sutra for us. At your age, <laughs> with hypertension, you need more sleep. He asked me about our session schedule. <laughs> this is a wonderful man. He's from India, and he goes to Menla uh, for retreats, not far from here. I'm so lucky to have him. Almost as good as having Hokuto at the ER. So I told him, well, I get up at 3.30 or 4 a.m. He said, well, you need to speak with the leader of your monastery. <laughs> and tell that person you need to go to bed earlier or get up later or both. The leader? That person is very strict. <laughs> she can't give herself a break. So this has been such a wonderful teaching for me because, you know, it requires dropping away what I think I should do, what I think I should be, how I should look, how you might view me, you know, all that garbage. We all have some of that. It's hard to get rid of it. It's hard to just say, you know what? I'm not going to be there tomorrow morning. And thank God, Chigan Roshi was. But I want to take this time to express my thanks both to you and also to you, Hokuto Sensei, because I know both of you have to leave after this Teisho. And what am I going to do without you? <laughs> I want to thank you for all you've done, the way you've been offering your teachings and guiding the Sangha. And really, we are so fortunate. Zen Studies Society is so fortunate to be able to see this kind of fluidity that we know. We will be in good hands. You guys will be in good hands. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
So here I am wending my way through these interesting contemplations. In fact, there's a very nice compilation of essays that came out quite a few years ago called Being Bodies, Buddhist Women on the Paradox of Embodiment by Lenore Friedman and Susan Moon. Well, anyway, let's look at the baby Buddha's statement. I alone, all, right? All, this I alone. A-L, then what? O-N-E. Alone, all of us are born in that moment. The whole universe has come alive. Not just one baby, the whole universe, when we are born, has come alive. And what did the Buddha say when he was awakened? I and all beings together are perfect and complete, all one. No one is left out of this I alone am worthy of honor. That's how we begin that first breath. I alone am the world-honored one. In Judaism, God says, I am that I am. But so many misunderstandings come from these absolute statements. So many religious conflicts. This is the truth, not a lie. No, that's false. No, my way is the only right way. Or, oh, the Buddha. Oh, the dedication today. Oh, and then we have the iron flute, all about poison as we're pouring ambrosial nectar. So, it's a very interesting thing to really look into this. The baby Buddha stands, walks, speaks, to see this as our own entry into this lifetime, this rare lifetime. And I think on this sixth day of session, we all feel something of that, a new found 
confidence, a feeling of being one with all, yet being at the center of the universe. All is one right here. Nothing lacking, nothing superfluous, as the Zen saying goes. And it maybe is even a little shocking to feel, I'm just fine. Those, all those certitudes we came to session with, and this is wrong and that's wrong, and after session I have to go back to that, and uh, how am I going to resolve, blah, blah, blah. Just to feel, just for now, at least this moment, I'm just fine. And I have no idea what I'm doing. why I'm just fine. And I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. But as Rinzai told Obaku, when I get there, I'll know what to do. Such a wonderful feeling. Because we can't figure it out. Whatever we project is bound to be rather different. Now, the great Umon Bunen Zenji told his assembly the story of the Buddha's birth and said, if I had been there, I would have knocked him dead with a single blow and fed him to the dogs in order to bring about peace in, on earth. True harmony. Well, this is the Zen master who, when asked, what is Buddha, replied, Kanshiketsu. Shit-wiping stick. Not at all iconoclastic. Not at all. To really answer this question, what is Buddha? To really know the intimacy with this shit-wiping stick. He has a very interesting way of teaching. But first, 
Let's take a little break. Having entered the Dharma Hall for formal instruction, the Master said, All of you who come and go for no reason, what are you looking for in this monastery? I only know how to eat and drink and shit. What else would I be good for? You're making pilgrimages all over the place, studying Zen and asking about the way. Let me ask you, what have you managed to learn in all those places? Try presenting that. Again, he said, in the meantime, you cheat the master in your own house. Is that all right? When you manage to find a little slime on my ass, you lick it off, take it to be your own self, and say, I understand Zen. I understand the way. Even if you manage to read the whole Buddhist canon, so what? The old masters couldn't help it. When they saw you run about aimlessly, they said to you, Supreme Wisdom, Bodhi, Nirvana. They really buried you. They drove in a stake and tied you to it. Again, when they saw that you didn't understand, they said to you, It's not Bodhi and Nirvana. Knowing this sort of thing already shows that you're down on your luck. But to make matters worse, you're looking for comments and explanations by others. You exterminators of Buddhism. You've been like this all along. And where has this brought you today? When I was on pilgrimage some time ago, there was a bunch of people who gave me explanations. They didn't have bad intentions, but one day I saw through them and realized that they were laughing stocks. If I don't die in the next four or five years, I'll get these exterminators of Buddhism and break their legs. These days, there are plenty of temple priests everywhere who fake it. Why don't you go and join them? What dry piece of shit are you looking for in here? The master stepped down from his seat, and he hit and chased the monks out of the hall with his staff. Oh, my. So, today we hear about poison, and listening to Umon and reading this case 91, you may wonder, why so nasty? Especially after listening to the lovely dedication. How does it go? 
His brilliance pervades all realms, shining right here, right now. So do these kinds of uh, verbal blows mean that we don't have deep reverence for Buddha Shakyamuni? Why do we hear of Tanka burning the Buddha figure to warm himself? Why do we have so many teachers seemingly denigrating or being iconoclastic? Why? Well, Umun just told you. We have this tendency to want to grab hold, to use the words of others, to take someone else's experience for our own. But what good does that do? What happens? Rinzai speaks throughout about being dependent and finding just one student who can come forth and show herself independently. We want things to be nice. And we cheat ourselves that way. We don't need sentimentality. We don't need making nice. Will you like me if I'm nice to you? Huh? It's a problem. Of course, we don't need to be rude, maybe. Sometimes it may be the most compassionate thing, right? So, Hakuin, of course, is his um, collected teachings have the title Poison Blossoms from a Thicket of Thorn. And his title for his Zen Words for the Heart translates Dokugo Shingyo into poison words for the heart. And Norman Waddell, who has done such an amazing job of bringing Hakuin to us, so many different books, 
said, the practice of attaching caustic, stinging comments in prose and verse to the words and phrases of Buddhist sutras and other texts has been a tradition among Zen teachers at least since the Song Dynasty. Blue Cliff Record, Gateless Barrier were composed during that time. And Hakuin is widely regarded as one of the greatest exponents of the art, the art of spewing poison, squirting ink from your mouth into someone's face. Uh, not, not going against their beautiful Buddha nature, but enlivening it just the way Umon did when Tozan came to him. Hmm? 60 blows. <laughs> The virulence of Hakuin's poison has become proverbial among the followers of his school. Who are the followers of his school? Hmm? Yes, we, Rinzai School. One drop, it is said, even a single word can be fatal. Destroying the universe and everything in it. Remember some of you Rohatsu exhortations, cut your life at the root. All the ways in which we cling, in the which we try to be nice, in which, we, oh dearest, Bodhisattvas, oh, yeah, right. One drop can be fatal. But then, what says? They are quick to explain, however, how it works as a powerful medicine, pumping spiritual life into the dead letters of the sutra, so that they will work for student they will work for students instead of against them so that we cannot cling, depend, say, well, I read that. And how the master always doled it out with loving hands, an act of deepest compassion. Hakuin knew from his own religious struggle that it is only through the experience of what Zen calls the great death that students can emerge into the great life that lies beyond, or we might say more properly, into the great life that you are living here and now on this sixth day 
of Holy Days Session. So in this case, a monk goes to Holgen and asks him, what's a drop of water from the source in the valley of the sixth ancestor? What's he looking for? Well, Hogan said, it is a drop of water from the source in the valley of the sixth ancestor. Now, what is there for you to lean on? Come on. How much of an explanation did you get there? Anything? Well, Fugai says he uses poison as an antidote. An antidote? What's an antidote to poison? The sixth ancestor. There is, of course, a wonderful translation filled with great commentaries by Red Pine on the Platform Sutra and the Sixth Ancestor. And in one section, the Sixth Ancestor, Eno, says to the assembly, Good friends, while I confer on you the formless precepts, you must all experience this for yourselves. In other words, I can give you the precepts, but you have to live them. So, recite this together with me, and it will enable you to see the three-bodied Buddha within you. This, of course, is Chigan Roshi's talk yesterday, the three kayas. But here, the sixth ancestor is bringing it together with none other than your body, each your body. So, this is what he said. I take refuge in the pure Dharma body Buddha in my own material body. I take refuge in the myriadfold transformation body Buddha in my own material body. I take refuge in the future and perfect realization body, Buddha, in my own material body. 
wonderful? We don't do this. When we are chanting Tisarana, we are thinking, oh, uh, Buddha, Dharma, hi, everybody, Sangha, you're so nice, I love you, thank you for being here, I could never do this without you. But really, this body, wonderful. So, there's more to this, but really, no, there isn't. So we will end today with this taking refuge in the pure Dharma body Buddha. Can we all say this together? I take refuge in the pure Dharma body Buddha in my own material body. I take refuge in the myriad-fold transformation body, Buddha, in my own material body. I take refuge in the future and perfect realization body, Buddha, in my own material body. we are born together. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.